Hello and welcome to Act 3 of Macbeth with Mr. Sebastian. Um, Act 3 opens with Banquo. Uh, Banquo is suspicious of Macbeth's rise to power, especially as, remember, Banquo was there when the witches prophesied that he would be uh, king someday. Banquo thinks this has happened a little bit too quickly, suspiciously quickly. Banquo says, thou hast it now, king Cordor, Glamps, and I fear thou playest most foully for it. That last part of the line is the important part. Thou playest most foully for it. You played foully for it. You didn't play this by the book. You've done something evil. You've done something wicked. Banquo starts to make plans. He is aware that as he has been prophesied to have children who will become kings, he needs to make sure that his children are safe. So uh, he plans to take his son Fleance away with him on a trip uh, just to get him out of the picture. He's getting worried that Macbeth might do something rash. So he makes his excuses and leaves court. As he leaves, Macbeth says to Lady Macbeth, our fears in Banquo stick deep. This shows the beginnings of his paranoia. Very much Act 3 is about the rise in paranoia and how Macbeth attempts to consolidate power. He needs to cut off any threat whatsoever to his power as a newly appointed king or self-appointed king. Act 3, scene 2. It opens with Lady Macbeth showing an early sign of regret. She just gets four lines in before uh, Macbeth enters the scene. Where, he said, where she says to herself, uh, it would be safer to be that which we destroy than by destruction dwell in doubtful joy. It would be safer to be that which we destroy. She's essentially saying, you know, we've killed people to become powerful. It would be better to be dead than it is to forever live looking over your shoulder. There's that wonderful line to dwell in doubtful joy. That contrast between the words doubtful and joy, that oxymoron there, um, suggests that she is starting to feel paranoid. To look over her shoulder, it'd be better to be dead than spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. However, enter Macbeth, and suddenly her tone completely changes. How now, my lord? Why do you keep alone the sorriest of fancies your companion's making? She is instantly trying to cheer him up, and she wants to make sure that she stays in his good books, and she uh, continues to have some sort of power over him. Uh, she tries to uh, cheer him up and make him uh, focus on the future rather than dwelling on the past by saying, what's done is done. Nice and emphatic, nice and clear, What's done is done. And depending on the performance, that could be done quite aggressively to whip him into shape, or it could be done in a very sympathetic, soothing sort of way. Nonetheless, she tells him in Act 3, Scene 2, what's done is done. We cannot change the past. Macbeth, however, in Act 3, Scene 2, starts to show um, uh, elements of paranoia. Um, he um, uh, is almost out of her control and he starts to take control of, of their relationship and of uh, well, being king, which is interesting because it's the first time in the play we've seen him really take more power than her and we even see him start to hide things from her as well in this scene as well. He describes the situation with Banquo as this, we have scorched the snake, not killed it. 
that means we've slashed at the snake, but we haven't properly killed it yet. Uh, we have killed Duncan, but we haven't actually sorted out the future yet. Uh, he knows this because he knows the prophecy that Banquo's children will become king. So he knows that actually Banquo's children are a threat to him. So in order to really consolidate his power, he needs to make sure that Banquo's children die as well as Banquo so that he can't have any more children. Um, he continues uh, venting his anger. She attempts to soothe him again by saying, Gentle, my lord, sleek o'er your rugged looks. Be bright and jovial amongst your guests tonight. They're having a banquet that night. They're having the entire court round. Um, all the most powerful men across um, uh, Scotland will be there. And she asks him to sleek over his rug rugged looks. Essentially, you know, comb your hair, compose yourself, get yourself looking like a king, and be bright and jovial, be happy. Once again, live in the moment, think about the future, don't dwell on the past. Macbeth takes her advice and again uses one of those deceptive duplicitous lines. Uh, by saying, we must make our faces visits to our hearts. We must make our faces masks to our hearts, disguising what they are. This again links back to earlier in the play when he said, stars hide your fires, when she said, the, be, look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. Uh, when he said, false face must hide what false heart doth know. Uh, he then takes total control over the next step. He's going to kill Banquo. That's his plan. That's his decision. But he's not going to tell the audience. He's not going to tell his wife. He says, a deed of dreadful note shall be done. She asks what's to be done. And he replies, be innocent of the knowledge, dearest Chuck, till thou applaud the deed. He means, uh, I want you to be innocent of this knowledge. Dearest Chuck is just um, a, an affectionate term. Uh, be innocent of the knowledge until you applaud the deed. Uh, he's saying, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but when you find out what I've done, you will applaud. You'll be delighted by what uh, I have done. He then calls upon sealing night to scarf up the tender eye of pitiful day. He, he again asks for the night and darkness and, and evil spirits to come mask him uh, so that he uh, can do these awful evil deeds. In, in this case, killing his friend, killing uh, a formerly very loyal friend, uh, Banquo. Importantly, by the end of Act 3, Scene 2, uh, he has uh, the power in the relationship. He wears the trousers, so to speak. He is the one who is now plotting their next step. And he's withholding this information from her. And that leaves her in the dark, but that also leaves the audience in the dark as to where things are going. Lady Macbeth has always told us her plans and then enacted them. Now, for the first time, we don't know where things are going. Act 3, scene 4 is the, the crucible of this entire play. It's the, it's the melting point of the entire play. Every key theme, every key character, everything goes through this play. Fun fact, every single Shakespeare play has an act three, scene four, and that is always the pivotal moment. It's a turning point in the narrative. It is uh, the, the, the fundamental um, fulcrum of the entire uh, plot, theme, narrative, uh, characters, everything always flows through act three, scene four. So act three, scene four is the banquet scene. Uh, in this scene, um, the murderers uh, who have been dispatched uh, to kill Banquo and Fleance, um, they've gone away, they've done that, they've come back, and they see Macbeth at the beginning of this banquet scene. They come up to him and they say to him, uh, well, we've killed 
Banquo. Macbeth is delighted. And they say, however, Fleance has escaped. And the moment Macbeth hears this, he says, then comes my fit again. Now, sometimes this is actually played as an actual fit. Sometimes this is played as just being an attack of nerves. But either way, this is a great hero, a great warrior, who hears this piece of news that a small boy has escaped. And he says, then comes my fit again. And from this moment, he loses all sense of power, but also he stops acting like a king as well. And he he starts to show signs to his court who are all gathered around him, signs of infirmity, signs of weakness. He goes back to the table, um, makes sure that his guests are well looked after, makes sure that everybody everybody's happy. And then when he is invited to sit at the table, he looks around and he, and he says, well, there's no seat for me. Every seat is taken. And when he looks... Uh, closer, he realises that there is one seat free. It's his seat. It's the throne. But sat in it is the ghost of Banquo. Only Macbeth can see Banquo's ghost. The rest of the nobles look at him and are absolutely amazed as to what is going on in this scene. Uh, They can just see their king uh, having a a psychotic episode. It's probably the best way to, to refer to it. Bear in mind, they are all terrified of him because he has taken power in quite a bloody, quite a ruthless way. Uh, Not that they know about the killing of Duncan, but they just have a fear for him as their ruler, as their leader. Um, And Macbeth sees uh, Banquo's ghost. Banquo's ghost does not say anything. It merely points at him and shakes his head. Macbeth doesn't like that. He says, never shake thy gory locks at me. He asks the people around the table, who has done this? Which of you has done this? Um, And it is very, very clear. It is his guilt that is projecting this image. Now, remember, this is a supernatural scene. But if only Macbeth can see it, is it supernatural or is it psychological? To what extent is this a projection caused by the witches and dark spirits? To what extent is this a manifestation of the guilt that he's experiencing? Uh, he begs this uh, this spirit. He says, take any other form than that. He says, I could fight a Hycron tiger, a Russian bear. I could fight anything, but I cannot fight you in this form. And in that moment, Banquo's ghost disappears. Lady Macbeth is horrified by everything she's just seen in this moment. Lady Macbeth, who in the scene before we've seen her lacking power, now suddenly holds the court together. She explains to um, to the court that uh, Macbeth is often like this. He often behaves like this. It's a small infirmity he's had since he was young, and it's absolutely nothing to worry about. And he says, she says, don't question him. It only makes him more angry. And as she's trying to keep all of the nobles calm, trying to put them at ease, trying to hold control of the situation, she whispers to him, Are you a man? This is the very painting of your fear. This is the air-drawn dagger. You uh, you look, but you're on a stool. Uh, The important bit there, the emasculation. Are you a man? She also at one point refers to this as a woman's story. So again, she's using emasculation to try and whip him into shape. She's using emasculation to try and manipulate him and control him into into behaving uh, like a king, or like a king, or in this case, like a man as well. Um... Uh, the ghost appears again. Macbeth again has another panic attack, and um, the uh, and Lady Macbeth bids all of the nobles to leave them, to leave them in peace. 
Uh, Macbeth is deeply shaken by this, as is Lady Macbeth. And Macbeth reflects on it, saying, they say blood will have blood. This is a very important line. It's a sign that he understands that because he has killed his way to the top, he understands that there is a cycle of violence uh, that will be enacted on him as well. Way back in Act 1, Scene 7, he said that bloody instruction, once being taught, doth return to plague the inventor. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you kill your way to the top, someone will kill you on their way to the top. And here he is in Act 3, Scene 4, saying something similar. Blood will have blood. I am in blood stepped in so far that should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as go o'er. This is a lovely piece of imagery. If you picture Macbeth as walking uh, in a river of blood, he's halfway through a river of blood. I'm in blood step so far that I should wade no more. To go forward would be as tedious as it would be to go back. I've killed so many people, I might as well just keep on killing people, consolidating my power. If I go back, I can't unkill these people. I, no matter which way I go, I have to kill my way out of the situation. I have to kill more nobles, more people who were formerly loyal to Duncan and are no longer loyal to me. So there's this theme of blood that is picked up in this moment in the in the play. Uh, he vows, he says, he understands the only thing that's going to consolidate this for me is if I go back and see the witches and ask them for more advice. This is hugely important because in a Christian time, any trusting, uh, any trusting nature of the witches uh, shows that you are trusting um, pagan values, pagan religion, that's pre-Christian religion, uh, to be trusting in witchcraft, asking witches for prophecies. That is an anti-Christian thing to be doing. So in a Christian time, that is a really clear symbol that he is going down the wrong path. He is no longer our protagonist, he is now our antagonist, he is now our anti-hero. Um, as he is trusting in pagan uh, religion rather than Christianity in terms of how he's going to uh, um, consolidate uh, his thoughts and move on with his life. Very importantly, the scene ends with Lady Macbeth trying to soothe him for the last time in the play, saying, you lack the season of all natures, sleep. She basically says, you haven't slept in a while, you need to go sleep. And again, this harks back to immediately after they've killed Duncan when he's told uh, Macbeth doth, doth murder sleep, sleep no more. And then all the way back to the beginning of the play, Act 1, Scene 1, where the witches have put a spell on some sailor to stop him from sleeping. He hasn't slept in this time. She hasn't slept in this time. They're both having nightmares. They're not, they're not sleeping properly. They're not, um, uh, they're not able to sleep because they're not innocent. And so steadily, it's this sign right in the middle of the play that they're being driven mad by guilt, by paranoia, but also possibly by these supernatural forces that control them in some way or another. There are other scenes in Act 3, scene, uh, in, in Act three uh, but these are mainly scenes between the nobles where they are conversing back and forth about what's going to happen next, um, who, who's going to travel down to England, who's going to travel to Ireland to see Donald Bain. Um, uh, but the most important scenes are definitely Act uh, 3, Scene 2 and Act 3, Scene 4. <laughs> 